<laughs> now you know what I look like. <laughs> yeah, you 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 look very different what I what I thought you were going to look like. <laughs> <laughs> Can I see him in the gallery view here. Gets to turn his audio on on his computer too. Yes. Could you uh, get a booster chair or something and uh, and come up? (laughs) 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 Just, just you know. And we came up with something that's probably not perfect, but we said the frontline COVID critical care expert medical committee. Maybe expert critical group rather than a committee. Okay. We okay. are a group and we, we front line. So I think the key words group. are front line, critical care, and a group. Okay. So amigos. We... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I vote for amigos. <laughs> I, I, do, I do have the word expert in there. So we would call frontline COVID-19 critical care expert medical group. So Pierre, do, do, you, do, do you agree with that? I do, but I don't. Uh, one thing, just small thing. Frontline critical care expert consensus group or something. So, Can make a Joy, uh, we have someone listening who's Dr. Wagshaw and his wife Joyce, who Joyce is in the media also, if you want to uh, come on. But she was suggesting the word consortium. That's an excellent word. Uh huh. three years ago trying to pick a name for the group. I'm Betsy Ashton. You know me now as the creative director of the FLCCC Alliance. But with me tonight, oh, there are a lot of people here tonight. Joyce. Joyce, come on in. Joyce Kamen, who you just met in that video, who was, yes, the daughter of a fine doctor, the wife of a fine doctor. And she came in. She's now our VP of PR. And boy, is she a good writer. You know, but you might ask, why was I here? I mean, how did I get into this? It's a very quick story, but pretty funny, I think. I was a former CBS News journalist, right? And I was well into my second career. I'd retired from that as an as an artist. I did a lot of commissioned portrait work. And I got a phone call from my personal physician, Keith Berkowitz, who said, Betsy, and this is right at the beginning of the lockdown in New York City. And he said, Betsy. I need your help. And I said, wait a minute, you need my help? You're a doctor. What can I do? We all shut in. There's what, what can I do to help you? I'm not a nurse. I'm not a doctor. And he said, well, you know, a lot of media people. True. And then he said, you know, there's something wrong going on. And he said, we doctors are being told not to treat Patients who call us who have COVID, we're told to just give them water and Tylenol if they have a headache and just stay home and isolate and do nothing until their lips turn blue. Then you send them to the hospital and then they get remdesivir and be put on a ventilator and then they die. And he said, that's that's not right. It's not doctoring. And it could be a death sentence for all of my elderly patients. I'm not going to do that. And I'm listening. I'm thinking, oh, oh, this is this is really strange. And he said, you know, I went online. 
And there is this incredible group of doctors. They are experts of experts. They really, they're highly published and they've figured this out. They understand their critical care guys. They're in the ICUs every day. They have figured out the progression of this disease. It's got many phases and what they are doing. They put together protocols. They're sharing them with other doctors to help everyone save lives. And he said, and it's working. They don't have the large number of deaths that we have, 22 to 80% of the people dying in hospitals here. And he said, they're losing maybe four to 6%. He said, this, this is incredible. He said, we've got to get the word out. And we said, I'm thinking, this, this is a story. This is a story. It's and a story. I'm saying, whoa, um, what can I do? I, I said, you know, I guess I can pick up the phone. I've got a phone and I've got a computer. Other than that, I'm here. And he said, well, you might save hundreds of thousands of lives. I was hooked. I'm here, folks. Joyce, you know, this is how, how it has been. And tonight we are giving you all a very special program. We're not going to have all the nurses on. We've got two on who are answering behind the scenes. We're not going to do a lot of clinical questions online, but Christina... Uh, and Emily will be answering things right. that you type into Q&A. But we're reminiscing and we're going to tell you where we've been and what's happened and kind of where we think we're going. And Joyce, I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> what a ride. I'm excited to have the original 10 together again on this screen. It's been far too long. Uh, we'll talk more about April 5th, 2020, which was the first time we actually saw each other on the Zoom. And as you can see, we tried to piece together the name and so forth. So without further ado, let's bring on the bring original. On. Well, of course, we all know Pierre Corey. And we this know my husband, Fred. That right. And Paul Merrick, of course, Paul's a ringleader of this group. And there's Keith Berkowitz, who is the one who brought me in. Wow. And Umberto Maduri is here. And the one who gave us that first Zoom from all out in the West Coast in Colorado, California. Excuse me. Welcome back to one of our favorite people, Howard Kornfeld. And let's see. Oh, and Joe Verone over there in what looks like the space station down in Houston, where a lot of the action was because his hospital was doing miraculous things. And who have I missed? Where's Jose Iglesias? We're missing yes. Umberto and Jose Iglesias. And yes. Where's Umberto? Bring him on. Bring him on, Umberto. Bring him on. Bring him on. I don't know. I, I see him on, up there. Yes, Paul. There's a And we need Jose has to turn on his camera and come on in. Come on back, Jose. We saw you earlier. He's smoking a cigar off camera. That's all he's doing. (laughs) He's disabled me. I guess Oh, bad connection. Oh, God. He he looks the same as he did three years ago. Exactly the same. Same position, everything. Exactly. Hey, Jose, show us the cigar. Where's the cigar, my too, friend? Too many sticky buns. <laughs> <laughs> so the first, thing, the first thing we'd like to do is just talk about how everyone got into this group. Yeah. Um, because Betsy told her story that Keith brought her in. Um, Dr. Paul Merrick was, I, uh, contacted me through a mutual friend. Um, but let's start with Paul and then... Um, 
Paul, tell your story a little bit, and then we'll go to Howard Kornfeld, who really was the one who convened us on our first Zoom. So Paul, why don't you start us off? How did we get together? Oh, you're on mute, I think. <laughs> he still doesn't I'm know mute. how to use Zoom. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's three years later, and he still doesn't know how to unmute his, his computer. <laughs> Wait, he's still on mute. Paul, you need to unmute. Yeah, I'm pretty better if I'm muted, Ooh. Joseph. I do much better when I'm muted. <laughs> yeah, so it's really difficult to know, you know, how this all happened. It just kind of happened spontaneously. It, it wasn't as if it was planned. Um, so, you know, I developed a protocol for what I, you know, which was on our medical school website for COVID. And I had um, interacted with Howard. Um, he, through the vitamin C protocol, um, he had a patient with toxic epidermal necrolysis, if I remember. Is that correct, Howard? Yes, Stephen Johnson syndrome, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, which we had treated with um, vitamin C, and that's how we kind of connected. And Howard thought that we should form a group. And since I only knew about four people in my whole world, um, I, I said, well, what about Joseph and Pierre and Umberto? And then Keith came along. So that's really how it happened. It, it just kind of, it was like a spontaneous combustion. So, well, Paul, hold on. Let me, let me correct Paul a little bit. Yeah, From so I remember, yeah, Pierre, you Howard, need to Howard reached out to you first, but then Keith reached out. We had a, like an East Coast, West Coast thing. We had Keith in New York, Howard in San Francisco, and I think they were kind of both pushing us to form a group. No? Well, I had a patient, I had a, a, one of my employees' uh, fathers was uh, in the ICU in New York, uh, intubated, you know? And, um, and I remembered Paul from um you know from a couple months earlier when i called him about the stephen johnson syndrome from hawaii i was on vacation and then i, I had this patient and i looked in the literature and i found paul's paper on this stephen johnson but anyway then i called paul and i said are you doing anything with covid you know and he said yeah i've got a whole thing we're trying to reach the governor of new york and everything so uh, the doctors there did the protocol, Paul. They did your. They knew about you, you know, in New York at this hospital, and they said, "Yeah, we'll do it." But if I hadn't called them, they wouldn't have done it for this patient because they were running out of vitamin C and you know things like that. Um, and and then you said. Um, Paul Pierre and I called Pierre and Pierre was in the middle of like a million things in the ICU at the University of Wisconsin and and he said something like there's a crime against humanity happening you know <laughs> I said that already back then right. yeah, right. <laughs> I'm a quick study you are <laughs> So, uh, Howard, you were the one who convened us and, and got us on that first Zoom. Yeah, uh, well, we I, had, I had been part of another international group that had started to use Zoom, you know, in the previous year to link people. And um, and I didn't really know how to use it, but I, I had another 
patient who was again a tech person so i called him and i said we need to get to a zoom group and he did a quick study on how to do it with zoom and then we thought we better record it on a video and joyce was a video person and so yeah it was just sort of stringing things together with duct tape and we somehow got got together so i mentioned earlier that um that uh i was uh summoned by a, a mutual friend between Paul and me uh, from Chicago. And she sent me the letter that Paul had written to Governor Cuomo pleading with him to get the, uh, to, to use the protocol where the patients in Paul's hospital were walking out the front door. Most other hospitals, patients were either on ventilators or dying in significant numbers. So um, when I got that email, I sent it over across the living room to Fred and Fred looks at this and you said what? The Paul Marrick? Professor. <laughs> and that's how it started. He was starstruck, almost like Elvis wrote him a letter. He was just really starstruck by Paul. And so then, um, so Paul got all of these doctors together. So I want each of you to tell me what, you know, when we first got together, what was you? What was your role? What were you what were you committed to doing as part of this group? So we can go around the horn. Um, we should get we Keith in because I think he has to yeah. go to a family event. Yeah, Keith, what was what was going on with you? He's graduating. You have to are you are, are you, you muted? muted? Yes, you're muted, Keith. Yeah, I'm unmuted. Sorry. So I actually Pierre's story was actually more correct. So what happened, Howard and I were at the same time. And actually I called Paul. I had found his study at University of Chicago on sepsis. And I'm like, this makes sense. I've been using vitamin C for years. And I called Paul and he actually called me back on a Friday night. So I guess you were free. So, and then he, and I asked him if anyone else was doing this. And then I ended up calling Pierre, Joe, I think Umberto as well. And so- and That's Keith, how I got started. I, I, I still remember my first conversation with you. You and I talked for probably two hours. We talked about <laughs> vitamin C the whole time and different ideas on how to deploy IV vitamin C. And, and even in early COVID, I, I was talking to people back then about, I remember one guy thought we should have like IV, IV, uh, IV vitamin C infusion suites at like a stadium. And you know, like people drove through for their swabs, like j just drive through, get an IV and get IV vitamin C. That's That's the kind of stuff we were talking about back then. Wow. But Pierre, my favorite comment to you is remember you said, well, we got to go change doctors. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, good luck. That's never going to happen. And, and and that was the problem. That was going to be the problem for the next few years is that I knew the doctors had to have a shift in how they thought and approached that. It's, so you know what? We actually have a video of that on that first Zoom of you, Pierre, uh, talking about, um, let's see, where we are talking about the uh, they're going to be scared. The doctors are going to be scared. Tommy, if you'll roll clip seven, please. We need to get non-ICU physicians to understand that they need to approach the treatment of the disease more aggressively, aggressively than we've ever asked them to treat something before. They, I'm telling you, hospitalists, non-ICU physicians, they don't talk like us. They don't think like us. They don't treat like us. 
And so they are scared out there. They're scared of steroids. The doses Umberto is proposing, which I think are absolutely accurate, will scare the living shit out of those doctors. And but they have no problem with COPD or asthma or other conditions. I think that uh, if we explain it to them, they will understand it. Yes, all right, I hope so. But, but the thing is, Umberto, the yeah. pervasive fear of steroids with a viral infection is lodged yeah, inside yeah, the brain of all those physicians. They're going to be scared. So, Umberto, uh, you were the one uh, who was advising, and, and of course, Umberto is considered the world's expert on corticosteroids. Um, just know that he's, he's just, um, he's the, he's the go-to guy and we had him and we were so fortunate to have him. Um, and we were advocating for vitamin C with corticosteroids, right, Umberto? Yes. So it's fascinating. So vitamin C and vitamin D are essential for the function of the glucocorticoid receptor that is where steroids bind to have a pharmacological or biological action. So they're indispensable. You cannot just give one. You need to give a combination that work very well. And, uh, and so that's why I really much appreciated Paul Merrick's work. You know, I love the guy. I think he's a genius. But regarding how I got started with all this, you know, I'm Italian. And in Italy, the epidemic started two months before the United States. And so as the epidemic started and people became aware that the leading cause of death was massive pulmonary inflammation, mimic of ARDS, ARDS-like, whatever. So I got contacted, I worked with the local CDC, helping to change their guidelines and implement steroids, work with my colleagues uh, in Northern Italy uh, to do a prospective study with a protocol. Uh, and uh, by the time we got together, uh, you know, we already knew some preliminary results of the study. There was negative would be published later, they were positive published later on. And then we implemented here at the University of Tennessee, the VA and the regional center, uh, medical center, a protocol that including vitamin D and vitamin C. And it's fascinating because our fellows that work <laughs> in another hospital, I will not say the name, they were people they were trained by us and people that came from other very famous institutions. And our fellows have a very low mortality compared to the other big shots, okay? So we were very much comfortable with the use of steroids, with vitamin C, vitamin D, but also we became comfortable early on with the use of non-invasive ventilations and alternative to intubation. There was the opposite of what was recommended by everybody else. If you remember, they said intubate right away. We found that when we start non-invasive ventilation, we had very good results. So when all this started and I got together with this group, to me, it was like a dream. You know, talk to people that are open-minded, intelligent, they have a lot of experience in publications. And so that's how all this started. Yeah. I so, wanna point. Yeah, go ahead. I wanna point out that back in February, I and the other people send a lot of letters to the WHO, CDC, everybody we can get a hands on. A lot of phone calls, we never had a reply, and pretty much explaining that what the WHO relied on was what we call an anemic review of the literature, okay? Again, six of the 10 studies did not report the type of steroids, how they use anything else. But most important, they keep quoting one paper from Saudi Arabia 
telling that steroids associated with the reduction in clearance, but that is a misquotation. Steroid is associated with reduction in clearance if used for less than seven days. If you use for more than seven days in the same study, not only there was no impact on clearance, but there was a 50% reduction in mortality, okay? So that's part of the misinformation that was provided by the WHO, the CDC, and all these people, they rely on assistant professor to review the literature where they had no competence on. So mm -hmm. it was really a major, major disaster. Yeah, Back so you were, fighting, you were fighting a big behemoth in the WHO and in their non-recommendation of corticosteroids for massive inf inflammation uh, yeah. of, of patients in COVID. Joe Verone was using um, this uh, cocktail in his hospital. Uh, before we go to Joe, Joe, as soon as we play this clip, you can comment on it. And uh, Tommy, if you'll roll, roll clip number eight, Dr. Verone on vitamin C, please. My experience with uh, vitamin C it is outstanding. Having seen what vitamin C could do, I decided to start giving vitamin C very early. So let's say you are a patient that comes to me with, uh, with shortness of breath and an abnormal CT scan, like the ones that have circulated among some of us. I mean, that is the moment when I put you in my, in my intermediate unit and I start you on, on, on the cocktail. And you know, we've had several variations of what we have done for the cocktail, but I have not had single death, not one death. And, you know, and I'm getting slammed with four to five additions uh, to the unit minimum. I know that in, this is nothing probably as compared to New York, but you know, I'm in Texas, we're expecting the big wave to hit us at the end of the month. Uh, every single patient that we have had, every single patient left the hospital in one piece. Every single patient, Joe, left the hospital in one piece and you were, your patients were walking out the door, you were giving the cocktail, using vitamin C, using corticosteroids, and still no one would listen to us. Joe? That is, that is correct. You know, <clears throat> Paul and I have been working together for almost three decades and, you know, always coming up with, we always talk to each other. At the very beginning of the pandemic, uh, Paul and I were coming up with uh, what do we do? And you know, I have been following Paul's protocol of uh, HAT for all my patients with sepsis and I had excellent uh, outcomes. So I said, why not just give it a try? And we did it and Paul can remember this. I mean, at some point in time, we look at our data and where the rest of the country had mortality rates in the 40%, 50%, my little hospital in North Houston had 4.4% <clears throat> mortality. And you know, we were getting slammed with admissions coming from everywhere. And we became truly like the COVID hospital that, as you know, was on every news uh, uh, cast all over the uh, the country. And uh, it's interesting because the other day, uh, Pierre was asking me how many interviews have we done yep. in regards to COVID. You know, I've done in three years, 3,450 interviews for different uh, things. Why? Because we show the success. We show that what we were doing was fine, but that didn't come without backlash. You all know that we all have backlash and you know people not being happy with, with us just doing what was right for the patients. Exactly. Most of the um, pieces that I saw only were talking about the fact that, oh, you had been there for uh, 300 days straight. It was all that. They never asked what you were doing to treat the people. 
You know, and it's funny because when they would come the, in, the reason they didn't ask is because Joseph didn't know what he was doing. He was <laughs> in a monkey suit. Yeah, Joseph was parading around in a monkey suit <laughs> with COVID Hunter on the back. That's what I love. And remember what? when I went to when we went to see Joe, just to let the audience know, is that when me and Paul rounded with Joe in his ICU, which was really busy. They made me put on a zoot suit that said assistant to the COVID hunter or assistant to the assistant to the COVID hunter. Because, Paul, you were the assistant COVID hunter. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, you have to admit, I mean, we have to have fun when you work so many days straight. And, and you know, Pierre was asking me this morning how many continuous days I work. I worked 715 continuous days with not a single day off. And they saw what my unit was. At some point in time, I had 88 patients for which. I was the only intensivist getting for. So these patients were, were very sick. So when, when you have so many patients, you gotta do what's right for them. And you come up with whatever you have to come up. And you try things and some things work, some things don't work. I will admit, I used remdesivir very early in the pandemic and immediately realized that it didn't work. And then we stopped using it. I mean, we then went to Paul's protocol and the protocol worked and worked to the point that we really were quoted by many people that we were doing the right thing, despite of all the aggression that we had. I mean, to the point that you guys remember, we even had death threats in my office as to why we were doing what we were doing. You know, it's interesting that this, the, the sort of pushback that we had in the very beginning started at the very beginning. It didn't start later on uh, in the process of, of COVID and all those years. It started immediately. Um, there's a, we have a Betsy that um, uh, on that first on that very first Zoom where you know if anyone could get to the national media here is a former uh, consumer um, consumer correspondent for CBS News well connected uh, well respected and uh, she was on fire that day let's play that clip and that would be clip number four Tommy I thought it'd be so easy. We had a story. First things first, I think what you all did right now was terrific. I would, you know, we can cut this down to get it out to some different news media types to tease them. But right now, I would get this whole thing up on YouTube. And then the, the key is for us to get the word out. You know, I will, with my list, I will just maybe even do a, a little talk uh, and get it out and say, go here, go to this. You've got to see this link. Doctors, governors, you've got to see this link. News media people, you've got to see it. Watch it because they want to see the whole thing. You were all excellent. So Betsy, <laughs> Betsy. so I think Betsy and, I, Betsy and I were in charge of getting the word out. So we were, that, that was our role. And Betsy and I, I remember saying to you, how hard can this be? We are offering the world a way, a way to live, a way to live, and nobody is fighting. Talk to me about that. That's you know, I would call people uh, at a lot of people that I knew at networks, um, CNN, CBS, PBS, all around, and I would give them this information, and it would be sort of quiet. 
And some of them would say, well, you have to have a randomized controlled trial. And I said, wait a minute. This is a this is a war. We have all these people dying, dying right away. This is like you've got a field hospital. You want to wait months and months and months to do something to put together a study. You can see what's happening. The doctors can see what's happening and they're seeing the results with their treatment. That should count for something. And oh, come back when you have a randomized controlled trial. Oh, Betsy, that that point is the key point. That's what I wanted to make is that from the outset, I would say the singular most, uh, this, the strongest barrier was the constant refrain and response, which is call us back when you have a randomized controlled trial. You guys don't know what you're doing. You think you what you're doing is working. Doesn't make a difference. And and I don't want to go into an exposition of how how rotten and and, and systemically corrupt the system is, but it, it really is, you know, in my book, I focus on this. It's it's this obsession in modern medicine with the randomized controlled trial. And it's not just any randomized controlled trial. It's the big randomized controlled trials, which are only funded by pharma and NIH, which we now know is the same thing. And you can't advance medicine unless you have control of those big RCTs and when they get published and how they're designed. And so we're, we're beholden to that. And you saw that early on in the same, we were like, Come on, like Joe's hospital, unbelievable low mortality. Paul's hospital, unbelievable low mortality, which, by the way, is really only for one reason, is those guys controlled the clinical services of their hospital. So people were treating early in the ward patients because I was working in a lot of hospitals where I'm the ICU doctor. I'm the end of the line. People were coming to me undertreated and, and they were failing because they weren't being treated, whereas Joe and Paul were able to treat patients early. But th th that RCT nonsense is literally what's so rotten in science. And they don't recognize or believe any evidence uh, outside of those trials. And, and you're right, that field hospital analogy is that that's what drove us all mad. We're like, we're at war here. You guys are talking about randomized controlled trials and like you just want to let people die and not try stuff. It, it was ugh. So don't because you think you were talking about human beings? Yeah, Peter and, and the rest of you, don't you think at the very onset when we were pitching, 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 not that's what we were doing, nonstop pitching this, just trying to get some traction on this. But it seemed to be already the pushback was systemic. There was something about it that almost like they had all been given the same script. I remember calling a CNN producer. Uh, I won't give you her last name. Her first name was Maggie. Um, I wrote to her a number of times. She finally wrote back and she uh, talked to her on the phone. And I said, Maggie, look, we have people dying at the rate of 80, 85% in hospitals. You have the number one, the most highly published uh, doctor in critical care medicine. You have Paul Merrick, who is leading this. You have Umberto Maduri. The, the experts, expert on the, the uh, administration of corticosteroids, you have Jose Iglesias doing research on this. You have Joe Verone in his hospital saving patients. You have Pierre Corey doing the same thing. I said, these are the people you need to be talking to. She said, well, if I had, a, if I had my birthday wish, this would all come with an RCT. I said, Maggie, we don't have time to do an RCT. People are dying right now. You've got to get them on the air. And she said, sorry, and hung up. Before you go, I actually what? got to talk to the Assistant Health Commissioner of New York City. Mm -hmm. So about that early on. 
because oh. he wouldn't talk to me, but my patient texted the mayor and said, if you don't call my doctor, you're not getting any more donations ever again. So on a Sunday night, the assistant health commissioner called me and we discussed the protocol and stuff, which actually they were using it. And Paul knows this at one hospital at Colony Island. They were using the protocol and was very successful. But he laughed at me after we told him. And obviously yeah. nothing happened. Yeah. yeah. And, and remember that even the, the media, even the media was a censor in the sense that remember Ivory Hacker. Ivory Hacker comes to my <clears throat> to my hospital. She sees what we're doing. She loves the idea that says, wow, I mean, make it and all that stuff. She goes to her uh, news station and they basically tell her, nope, you cannot talk about ivermectin. Next thing you know, you know, she's quitting on, on, on air on national television. Yeah, she, she you know, was. this didn't even start with this didn't even start with COVID. There was such a vehemence against corticosteroids and the use of severe lung injury. I remember a gentleman from Vanderbilt who told Umberto, who had the gall to tell Umberto, that's why Elvis is alive, because because Umberto gave him steroids. So it's it. there's always this fetish for randomized control trials. And there's always this disdain for anybody that goes back to the roots of medicine, which is yep. observation at the bedside, seeing the results of your individual patient and very complex diseases. And half of them just read the abstracts. They don't really delve into the, the meat of the, the issue. And Umberto's been the, Paul and Umberto have been the pioneers of using steroids in these severe diseases. And I think just the COVID issue the multimodality approach to COVID with inflammation and thrombosis. I mean, I think there was just a, a complete disdain and you'd think they'd applaud this. You'd think, gosh, we want we have people that are trying to do something new. Let's do it. But it was quite, quite bizarre. Yeah. So that is not to say that our group has not been involved in research. We have early on, um, Jose, Dr. Iglesias, you were involved in research. And uh, let's play that clip, Tommy, uh, clip number nine. Well, we've noticed that unfortunately we have no problem with our physicians starting vitamin C. There's not been a hesitancy on this since they've come in. A lot of our patients were started on vitamin C. The unfortunate aspect of this is they're already in the ICUs and they're already critically ill by that time. Um, so our experience was with septic patients and early by the way, this, the way we designed the study, we were able to give the drugs fairly early, not in the six hour window, but within it probably the longest patient was probably maybe 11 or 12 hours. So we were able to treat them quicker uh, than the, the most recent vitamins uh, trial published. What we found was a quicker reversal of shock in these patients. The medicine was well tolerated. Obviously, our control arm, this was a double-blind, uh, randomized study. Our control arm did not have steroids. There was a subgroup that received steroids. Adjusting for all of this, still vitamin C had a, a profound effect, and clearly there's a synergistic effect uh, with the use of corticosteroids. Joyce, there was something said that was very, very interesting about the whole concept of most doctors just read the abstracts. What did you doctors learn during the course of these three years about that particular problem, about what's in the study versus what's in the abstract or on the headline? 
You know, let, let me say something about that. I actually, we've always complained about that, that people are not, you know, doctors are not reading studies critically enough and not really looking at what the data shows and just reading abstract conclusions. But I actually, what I've learned in the last three years, because I used to say that three years ago and I knew that, to me, the deeper issue that I discovered, which I don't think I knew before COVID, is, is it starts at what appears in those journals. Um, so much good science is censored from those journals, especially when it's around alternative, repurposed, generic, unprofitable therapies. And so you're only reading really curated science. And then the level of manipulation of the science that is published is 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 really indescribable. Um, and, and they go after repurposed drugs. I mean, listen, Umberto Maduri, I mean, his whole career for 20 years, he has undergone incredible persecutions because he was trying to bring to the world the knowledge that a cheap, safe, ubiquitous medicine, corticosteroid, could be effective in a number of critical illnesses that people were dying from. And, and Umberto's story is really kind of a prelude to everything that happened to us in, 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 in hyperdrive. And, you know, it, though it's, it's really the science that appears in those journals. I mean, I, I definitely think that the, the conclusion, just reading the abstract and conclusions, that's what the system is built on because they get the papers in there in the biggest journals and then the doctors read the conclusion and then the doctors do this. And it's very robotic. There's no critical thinking. And, um, and, but, but yeah, I think it's not just how the conclusions are written or the doctors read abstracts. It's that they're reading abstracts of highly curated and manipulated science. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that I did not know how bad it was three years ago. It's actually even worse than that. 99% of American medicine was threatened with their jobs financially. They were told if they treated with hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, steroids, they've terminated their contract. And think of any group of individuals who have existing professional debt, they have mortgages, and they have children in college. That's how they captured medicine. So immediately the fix was in from the CDC and the NIH. Yep. And this was by any other name, genocide. They killed over a million people, despite us meeting with the NIH. You know, we have we have a clip about that from the very first uh, Zoom. Um, Tom, if you will play um, clip six, please, Unnecessary Deaths, Dr. Paul Merrick. Again, you have just a minute or two before Dr. Fauci or, or, or even someone at the vice president's office or someone at uh, the governor of New York, what would you tell him in a very succinct, understandable way what needs to be done now? I think patients are dying needlessly. And I think this is a terrible shame that we are allowing this to happen. It is an outright shame. We have effective therapies that can alter the course of the disease. We need to institute them early, aggressively, and we need to prevent patients deteriorating and landing on a ventilator. Once they land on a ventilator, we know the course is prolonged. The mortality may be up to 60 to 70%. It takes them a long time to get off the ventilator, and we really have no idea of their functional capacity once they get off the ventilator. See, Paul, I'm watching that now, Paul. And it, it actually makes me want to cry because when you said those words, 
millions of people had not yet perished from COVID-19. They had a chance. They had a chance with cheap, repurposed drugs known to be efficacious for COVID. And that's the, I think those are the same words you would speak today were we at the beginning of a similar of a similar pandemic. Paul, you are you are just a giant in hey, medicine. Paul you, Paul, you look cute in scrubs too. Yeah. So what's somewhat disconcerting is that was um those videos or that we did a video conversation in my office when I had an office. So that was my office at the medical school where I was no longer allowed to practice. So that was the office that I sat in for many, many years. And that was my office furniture. So it was um, in a way somewhat nostalgic for me. Yeah. Given everything that has happened and some of it has been ugly. Um, certainly to <laughs> you doctors with, with the hospitals and the, uh, you know, the attacks, wanna, all the attacks. I want to go back to, um, I think Umberto was going to say something because yeah. everything that happened to us in these three years, um, Umberto is the original gangster. I mean, they've been after him and his work and his research for two decades. And what he's been through, I mean, Umberto, I wish you would have warned us. <laughs> yeah, I wish too. Well, you know. I, I pay a price for being a member of FLCC, but I yep. will never go back, okay? In other words, I lost my job, but with honor, okay? Um, I wanna say another thing. I think the physician rely a lot on guidelines, which are important, but remember that most of the guidelines, they come from medical society are written by people they work for the industry directly or indirectly, many indirectly. And so, you know, the industry is like, you know, they have their hands everywhere, including importantly, education of physician. That's why it's very difficult to get through. I agree. The Pierre, I, I wanna uh, comment that you and I were talking about the WHO early on, and, and we found an article in the New Republic that said, very early in COVID, they, there was a movement at the WHO to make a universal vaccine global where there would be complete sharing of information. And it was based on AIDS, some, some protocols that were developed in, in Africa to distribute AIDS medications. And this thing was growing and this was early. This might've been January or early February. But before that could uh, blossom, uh, another movement came that was actually inspired by the Gates Foundation, which was funding the WHO to a very large degree. Like the Gates Foundation was like the third largest donor yep. WHO after the United States and after the UK. And, and, and then they brought in this idea that no, the contracts would go to individual drug companies. And then I think the the, the U.S. Uh, administration uh, got into line and the U.K. got into line. So before anyone knew anything, they had decided that private industry was going to dominate, you know, 
the field. And I think that's probably why Umberto might know more, but that's why the steroid thing got killed right away because uh, there was a sense of why, why have steroids? They're not going to make anyone any money. You know, let's put a squash on the steroids and then let's madly try to invent new stuff like remdesivir and, what, and, what you no. just said is 100%. They wanted no. to get rid of repurposed drugs. And on that note, and I think, Umberto, you'll agree with me, I believe that that trial that actually validated our opinions on corticosteroids, I think that trial was designed to fail. Um, they used a very low dose for very sick people. And I don't think they thought they were going to find the result that they did, but they did. And it validated us. But I, I mean, that, that's a tiny dose. Part. That's lower than I give an 80-year-old who's wheezing with an asthma attack. I mean, it's crazy. And these patients had whited out lungs on ventilators, and they're giving them six milligrams of dexamethasone. Absurd. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I think the messenger RNA vaccine came in, because that was kind of ready to go in, in the private industry um, uh, companies. They they, yep. they had never used it before, but they, they knew that they could create something really quick, like a quick and dirty thing. And, and instead of letting like a flu vaccine, which was a proven technology, uh, it, it might have taken just a few more months to develop a safe vaccination, but that wouldn't have been uh, with intellectual property rights. And, and so I think that's how the messenger RNA got so quickly. Well, uh, Howard, I, I agree with you. I mean, the whole the whole plan, the whole I mean, all of the stuff is, is just so corrupt. And, and but, you know, one of the things that we want to focus on, right, is just like kind of where we were, who we were and how we got here. Because, you know, all the stuff you're talking about, we know that now, uh, you know, at the time, I, I think, I don't know. I, I mean, I've undergone the education of my life in the last three years and uh, I've done it alongside all of you. We've all figured stuff out, except for Umberto. He's known this crap for a long time. Right, Umberto? Yeah, I, I like to I like to make a comment. Actually, the, Joyce knows this. We have discussed about this. It is fascinating, but nine nine months after the English British study documenting the effect of steroids was published, this the British Research Institute wrote a paper saying that in those nine months worldwide, one million lives were saved. If you now you go back to what happened in New York, in Italy, at the beginning of a pandemic, and they have done what was simply fair, you use for massive inflammation of a lung, a highly effective, inexpensive, and safe treatment, we will not have an economic catastrophe, a shutdown of the economy we had. All this would have prevented, you will not need convention centers with ventilator, people decide who should ventilate or not, when should I pull them out, and all this kind of stuff. All that could have been prevented. I agree. Let's, let's, yeah. go, let's go back and uh, see a, a very brief comment from our president, Pierre Corey. Uh, Tom, if you will play clip number 10, please. Um, Dr. Fauci and all his wisdom and experience to say that it's a harmless therapy. Um, uh, with all due respect, I find that uh, not a helpful uh, statement because what it really is, is a life-saving therapy. That's it. And it's actually been proven to be life-saving in the condition that is killing the world. 
life-saving in the condition that is killing the world. That, that was at a time, again, we had an opportunity to save those millions of lives. Thank God, as you pointed out, Umberto, a million lives were saved after the introduction of corticosteroids into the worldwide therapy for critical illness. But how many more hundreds of thousands died waiting for that to happen? And yep. given what you now know and what you have seen, where would you like to be? We want to hear from each one of you. Where would you like to be three years from now? What would you like to see happen? Let's give them a minute to think about it. And yes. what we'll do, think about it. But uh, for, the, for, uh, for the moment, we want you to see a little snippet of how people who have been, whose lives have been saved, whose loved ones have been saved by the therapies and protocols produced by this amazing group of physician scholars. We want you to see what it's meant to the people. So Tom, if you'll roll that video. I can say is thank God for all of you doctors. It's lovely. So Betsy's question. 
I'm going to start because I know what my answer is because I'm inspired. I'm here in Boston. Uh, I am. Uh, I was. I attended Bobby Kennedy's um, opening address of his presidential campaign, and I, I just got to tell you guys, I was. Uh, oh my gosh, I, I was so inspired. You guys got to listen to his speech today. It was. It was beautiful. Um, the the. <laughs> Where I see us three years from today, it's it's such a dumb answer. You guys can, I, I want to see Bobby president, and all will be well. He is uncorruptible. He spent thirty years fighting corporations who've taken over our agencies from environmental to health to agriculture, and he knows that he's going to be. Uh, if he would ever get elected, he would be a phenomenal force in government. He would change everything that we're talking about tonight. He knows all the corruption. He knows how it's done. Um, I don't know. I, I just. Um, he's the founder of Children's Defense Fund. So Children's th- Health Defense. And he's now a candidate for president. And, you know, if you listen to him talk today, his platform is so great. I don't want to make this political, but I, I just got ex- inspired by today. And, and you know, it, it's really to answer the question, like, where do I see? It's really two questions. Where do I see us three years from today? And where do I want to see us three three years from today? Because <laughs> There's two different Pierres there. There's the cynical one who's beaten down and completely defeated by the overwhelming corruption. And then, you know, there's the optimist who, who, who keeps doing what we're all doing, why we're here tonight, why we've done this for three years, which is trying to get there, trying to get to a better place where we can get rid of the corrupt, corruption and the 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 influences in in science and policy and politics um it's caused untold death and as physicians and humanitarians you know we it, it, here's another thing that i've thought about myself is like my core skill and my core responsibility as a physician is a diagnostician you have to know what is wrong in order to fix it and learning about all that that is wrong you know, I can see the fixes and I want to, I want those fixes to happen. And I think we're, we've been trying to do that. We've been trying to give good guidance and solutions. And um, yes, we've been attacked for them. They haven't been wholly accepted at all. But I would say that, you know, in these three years, guys, I don't want to say we won this. I think we fought this to a stalemate. But what we fought to is we covered and protected a ton of people, a good portion of society, not only in the U.S., without the sound grandiose, worldwide. I mean, there are little FLCCCs, not that they're copying us, but it's an organic thing. There are groups of doctors who are well-meaning, who are objective, who can see the science, and they're everywhere. And you guys know, we we partner and, and interact with people everywhere. It's a, it's a small minority who who knows how to follow principles of honesty, integrity, objectivity. And, and that's what we want to see as the guiding principle throughout our societies and countries. And I think if we just keep doing what we're doing, uh, I, I hopefully we'll get there, but um, I, I, I don't know. We need help. Uh, we, we need someone in power also. Um, and so anyway, that's what I got to say. Others next. Yeah. So, you know, one of the, um, viewers talked about an awakening. So, you know, Pierre and myself and I presume Joseph and Jose, we were kind of asleep at the wheel. I think Umberto maybe knew, had experience of what what was to come. But for us, this was a great awakening, I think. We, we weren't aware of the deceit, the dishonesty, the corruption of uh, mainstream medicine. So this was a, an awakening 
But I think with that comes an awareness of that we now have the potential to, to impact this, this really corrupt system and make a difference. And, um, you know, we, we, our goal now is, you know, beyond COVID is, you know, looking at various aspects of health and healthcare and how we can truly help people with um, no preconceived biased financial gain. So, you know, like Pierre, I am somewhat optimistic. I think we, we have a new, we have a broadened goal now, you know, which was restricted to COVID, but now I think we have a more, um, a, a, a larger um, mission to achieve. And it has been an awakening. Um, so that's, I am somewhat optimistic. Beautiful. Joe? Yeah, I am, you know, I'm equally optimistic, Paul. I think that we have done, we have saved a hell of a lot of lives. And despite the fact that Pierre one doesn't want to sound grandiose, you, we need to sound grandiose because we save people all over the world, all over the world. I mean, we all spoke to God knows how many people. We did a good job. And I can just see the FLCC continuing to do the same over and over again. Yes, we're going to be attacked. These attacks are not going to disappear in three years. We're going to keep on having to fight with state boards, with, you know, industry, with whoever is trying to get us. I am, you know, I'm surprised that I haven't had a sniper just uh, kill me but because I've had the, the threats. But you know what? I went to medical school to save people. And I'm in for this until the very end, no matter what. And, you know, Paul and I, we were talking a couple of days ago and we were like, oh, my gosh, we're, you know, you get tired. You get exhausted. This is emotionally exhausting. But we are going to prevail no matter what. And you know our legacy is already here. And even if we don't do it ourselves, hopefully some of the people that are listening to us, some of the people that have watched us and followed us will continue our steps to some degree and will hopefully make this better. So FLCC is here to stay. Beautiful. Jose. Yeah, Jose. I think you're on mute, Jose. Yeah, I think you're muted. We can't hear you. I, I think what I've learned through all this is that, you know, there we're such a diverse group and, and, and people that I've met that I never would have thought before the pandemic that I would have ever talked to. Like the gentleman who spoke before a couple of weeks ago from the ANC and actually listening to Robert Kennedy completely ludicrous and what i've come to learn is there are two people in the world those people that care about humanity and those people that really don't and i think what we need you can't split rotten wood in our institutions kind of like henry david thoreau said sometimes there's a time to just restart all over again there are scientists that care they've been silenced there are and people that really care about science and medicine positions where we can do the right thing for the public, which was the responsibility of these institutions when they started. And that's what I'd like to see in, 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 in the future. It's going to take work. It's going to take pain. But that's what I, I would wish to see. Thank you, Jose. Umberto. Umberto? Yes, I'm sorry. It took a while to unmute. Well, I'm back. I love you guys. Okay. 
And uh, we're glad to have you. <laughs> let me tell you, you're my brothers, okay? You're my brothers. And actually, your protocol helped me save my brother with severe COVID on the ventilator in Italy. So thank you. <clears throat> One thing that I noticed that is different in the FLCC as a physician compared to what I read or what I read in guidelines or whatever, and I think that Paul has a lot to do with this, and that's why I love his work. It's holistic medicine. In other words, this is not a pharmaceutical company that tell you take anti pin 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 take this, take that. They look at things in isolation. They don't look at the body in its complexity. They don't look. They just look at the body for that moment in which the drug can be effective and remunerative. They don't look at what happened thereafter. So what I like about the FLCC protocol that is not just for the severe COVID, but is for the prevention, is for the follow-up, for the long-term, is everything. So in other words, it looks at the overall history of the patient, not just the acute event. So, you know, Paul, when I read your book and I tell all my fellows to read your book, I see the guy with an holistic view. So you really impacted the on the way we approach that. And we don't look just at a drug, but we look also as essential components of life that are micronutrients. So you got your vitamin C, you got your zinc, you got melatonin, you got all these other things that are essential for you to get better because you understand how they are impacted during the disease and how supplementation can help. And so it's a completely philosophy of medicine that I think is much more attached to the old way physician used to practice instead of what is now the one dictated by the industry that is just use the little thing, you know, regarding the future, I think that we can keep working on this and educate people on this holistic approach to the patient that doesn't look just at what happened now, but how what you do now not only gets the patient home, but will help in long term, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm proud to be with you guys. We're proud to have you. Yeah. Keith, Keith, your your vision of where we go from here? So as everyone knows, this is my second war. 25 years ago, I had my first war with Dr. Atkins, and I watched. He really guided me to understand what the key point and what we've really accomplished more than anything else. We've allowed the patient to be empowered. So when they go see their physician or over the practitioner, they are now their own advocate. And I really believe that we continue to do that is really help them become a better advocate. There's a great quote I always think of. The way to change, you don't have to change your change physicians or change practitioners. You have to change your physician or practitioner. And that's what we, we've accomplished, I think, through this. And I think we'll continue to accomplish that. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Well, Howard, you Howard. brought us together initially on a Zoom. I'm going to invite you to close out our Zoom tonight. Uh, until next year, probably, but please, your thoughts. Well, you know, decades and decades ago, biochemistry developed and knowledge of the micronutrients and the um, macronutrients. And, uh, and, and they were even treating schizophrenia with high-dose niacin at one point and getting some interesting results back in the 50s. And then pharmaceuticals came in and it sort of eclipsed it. 
the knowledge of, of really how the body works evaporated. And after the first year of biochemistry, the doctors don't really study the mechanisms of, of illness and wellness. And, and so we have a disease care system, but not a, a health care system. And I think FLCC is doing an important role in moving us towards a health care system. And I think doctors have tremendous influence um, in this arena, in, in climate change, in preventing nuclear war. I think physicians and healthcare workers really are the key to uh, moving us forward. And, uh, and I salute Dr. Merrick and Dr. Corey, Dr. Maduri, Jose, Keith, I, I really appreciate knowing all of you and, um, and Betsy, of course, and, and, um, and Joyce and, and uh, Fred, uh, it's been an honor, you know, and, and Pierre, I'm really proud of everything you're doing, you know. Cheers, man. Well, it's great to have you back here and seeing okay. you. And by the way, Fred hasn't had a chance to yes. give his yeah. to you. Well, I think we have to thank Dr. Merrick and Dr. Corey for leading us through the fog to see censorship like we've never seen before in this country. And how big money has corrupted our government and our media. And while we have institutions who believe in what we do, who read what we read, they'll never break with the train of dollars coming to them from the big NIH. So what we really need is systemic change to allow doctors to think again. And for that, I thank Paul and Pierre, and I'd like to thank all of you at Stockholm when they wake up to realize we we deserve to be there. Yep. Exactly. Well, well uh, Betsy's gonna close us out in just a moment, um, but I would just like to say that um, most of you watching this know that our doctors have been through a war and they have battle scars. They have lost a lot. And, um, and when I ask them sometimes in a group, sometimes individually, knowing now what you know, if you were back then in April 5th, 2020, would you do this all again? knowing what you stood to lose, your jobs, perhaps your licenses, your board certifications, other things, would you do it? And without hesitation, our doctor said, of course, of course. Uh, Pierre said, we, we, we're not political and we're not, but we are all members of the humanitarian party. And that is what this group stands for. We are the humanitarian party. And we carry that flag with pride. And I can't tell you how much I personally love each of you um, as men of honor and wisdom and uncompromising moral courage. Um, and I salute you. I just salute you. And I bless the day I got that Facebook message from our mutual friend, Paul. Um, my life took a turn I didn't expect, but I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. And I'll be here with you. Betsy. It is an honor. 
an honor to know every one of you. And know it's an honor also to know the supporters. You folks, we have a little poll, by the way. We have a little poll for you to fill out. How many of you have been with us since the beginning? How many of you have watched the weekly webinars from, oh, here we go, FLCCC Pioneers. Have you been watching the FLCCC webinars since the beginning, February 2021? Single click choice. Yes or right, no? Got, Fill I'm, it out. I'm seeing it right now. I'm going to click yes. All right. Well, I think I was there from the beginning. Me too. Oh, we can't. I can't vote. You're right. Oh, we can't. Oh, panelists, you cannot vote. Hosts and panelists can't vote. Oh, bummer. And, All right. Well, what, anyway. By the way, Joyce, the real answer to your question, will we do it again? Absolutely, we would do it again, but we do it better and harder from the beginning because I'm on to these guys, man. We would have <laughs> got after them right where they right where they were coming from. I would probably buy some bulletproof vests to begin with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would have done that a lot earlier. <laughs> well, it is it's truly an honor and what a joy to have you all together. Um, and it's uh it's gonna be great to see a lot of you in person. Very shortly at the conference. Yes, yes. Wonderful educational conference coming up. And I'll be telling uh, a little bit more about that. And I want to tell you folks, don't sign off just yet. Because the last video that we're going to sign off with tonight, you want to see. It is absolutely, I think, epitomizes who our doctors are and what they do and how well they do it. So let me just give you a few announcements here somewhere. And um, thank you. Bless you all for being here. And let's just share what else is happening. Anesthesia. You're concerned about going to a, to a hospital if you perhaps have to... Um, have to face surgery. Well, our own Christina Maros, who is a CRNA, will be hosting a Twitter space this Friday, April 22nd, 21st, 21st at 11 a.m. Eastern time to discuss our new anesthesia guide and to answer your questions. So save the space at, you can see HTTPS colon for double forward slash genie dot us forward slash anesthesia hyphen space hyphen FLCCC. That's the link. And make sure to check out the document first so you can be prepped with your questions. The guide can be found on our website, flccc.net, much easier there, under tools and guides. Now then, in other news, our own Dr. Bean has a new episode of Long Story Short this week. It is all about the reactivation of Epstein-Barr virus in long COVID. Not a good thing. You want to watch this on our FLCCC Odyssey and Rumble channels or at flccc.net forward slash Dr. Bean. Really good, important information. Now then, a schedule update. Here's what's happening. You know, many of you, that we are going to be heading to a certain conference next week. Yes, the second FLCCC Educational Conference begins next week in, next week in Fort Worth, Texas. So there will be no webinar on April 26th. We will be traveling. There will also be no news capsule next week. The following week, we will be back 
for a weekly webinar on May 3rd, and it will be to give you all a big conference update. Now then, speaking of the conference, we have just 15 one five seats left. So if you want to join us in person, please head over right now to flccc forward slash uh, net forward slash conference to reserve a spot for those of you who are unable to attend but want to learn all this valuable information. We will again be offering all the lectures as an education on demand package. So please stay tuned for information on how to register to be the first to find out when it is available. And with that, we would like to thank you all for joining us tonight, for sharing with us your time and your support, and for helping us in so many different ways to continue to do what we do. You know, we truly could not do this without you. You know that. And we just can't thank you enough. We will see you back here in two weeks, but don't miss this wonderful story from very early on of our doctors working to save a life. This is what they do. Um, he has a history of asthma and so he started with just his typical yearly cough and it usually happens around this time so we didn't think much of it um, and then it just got progressively worse over the next two days then all of a sudden it got really worse I remember Saturday night he didn't sleep it was just cough after cough and so I made him go see a, a doctor friend of mine and he tested positive that day And so it just started from there. He got started on medications. We thought he was going to bounce back. He didn't seem that sick at that time. But it was not until Tuesday that he really took a big turn and we ended up checking him into the emergency room and that's where he got admitted. I was having a hard time breathing. Cough was getting worse. It was, uh, it was just getting more and more difficult. Started to get a little bit fatigued. They were giving me the numbers. I could see he was just getting progressively worse. I could see that they were getting worried. He had a really bad night Saturday night. I honestly thought we were going to lose him. That's when the PA who's been treating over 3,000 patients locally told me about the Math Plus protocol. The whole hospital, as you can imagine, it was an old hospital. We adapted it to be a, a COVID uh, unit, actually. I would call it the Math Plus uh, unit because everyone that gets admitted to, to, the, uh, to this unit goes on Math Plus, everyone. The case manager calls me from the hospital and says, Dr. Espinosa, um, we can't get anybody to fly him over there. I said, Mama, don't worry about it. I got it. He's going tomorrow, tomorrow at 1030. They were picking him up. He's very, very old. Wednesday morning when I was here, I knew a lot of people were worried. They got this CAT scan. Probably didn't look too good. I know my wife told me it didn't look too good. The CAT scan right when he arrived was horrific. I mean, they showed me and I was just like, oh my goodness, this the prognosis was, was not good. You don't want to have a CAT scan that looks like that because that means you're in big trouble. Immediately once I got on the medication, I began to turn. 
the next day great and I can tell you today I feel a hundred percent better. It's really powerful because these are real people and it's pretty astonishing they'll say they felt terrible. Two or three days later they say I don't know what happened. The advances that we have made. The fact that we now understand that we're fighting inflammation and coagulation instead of, you know, the virus itself. We're doing it based on science. They have me on ivermectin, the cellumedrol, the high-dose vitamin C I got here on Tuesday. And you can do the math today, Saturday, and night and day. It looks amazing, 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 amazing. Look at us. He's been given cellumedrol with IV vitamins, thiamine, vitamin C, high levels. So ivermectin, we've been, I've been speaking to the doctors about that medication, and I believe that's part of the reason why he improved. I love you guys. You'll be able to touch me soon and give me a hug. My little girl's so attached to him, she just started bawling, she just started crying, and you could tell the uh, emotional attachment that she has to her dad is just unreal. Daddy's getting better, look at this, amazing, right? In four days, look at how amazing. Isn't that a miracle, right? This is a real thing. We see it every day. He thinks it's a miracle. I think it's just science. I mean, maybe just semantics, but it's the truth. Yes.